Hello, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I make tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello, Craig. Hi, Jess. I am Craig Campbell, and I own Nerdburger Games. Uh, and um, I'm going to keep this short and sweet and just cut to our guest, uh, who is Brennan. Hello, Brennan. Welcome back. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for bringing me on the show. Um, I'll introduce myself. I'm Brennan Taylor. I am half of Galileo Games, uh, and uh, I'm happy to be on the show again. It's it's a great one. Yeah, thanks for coming and uh, talking to us on this topic that Craig has already alluded to today. You know, let's just get into it. I'm gonna I'm gonna also throw it over to Craig to introduce. <laughs> um yeah for uh for gming um there are times when uh and it's all dependent upon the group style and kind of what they're looking for in a game and sometimes dependent upon the game as well um but there are times when the gm doesn't necessarily need to drag out or the group doesn't want to drag out certain types of scenes there are things that happen in game that you can kind of just gloss over get through get through fast um, and so we're talking about cut to scenes in all of their incarnations about like where you decide this is the point where we're just going to jump forward to the next um, what you and the group kind of deem to be important uh, part of the story that you're that you're dealing with and, and you know, not get bogged down in something that happens in between and kind of methods uh, like how to identify when to do that methods that we can use to to do those sorts of things when, uh, you know tips and tricks, our own stories, whatever we got. Um, that was a long-winded explanation for cut to scenes. <laughs> <laughs> so Brennan, I'm, I'm curious about uh, why you chose this topic and what your experience is with a cut to scene. Uh, well, I use this technique a lot because I like to keep things on topic. And one of the things that you notice in like uh, games uh, in my old traditional method of playing is that people would get really bogged down on things like shopping trips or uh you know uh interstitial scenes scenes that are not like dramatically important and uh when i learned this technique uh my games moved along a lot faster and it's basically uh you take it uh, uh you you take a scene to where it's logical conclusion and then you cut to the next action rather than saying okay now what do you do yeah you're you're kind of taking control as the gm and saying okay we are moving on here's where we're going instead of just continuing to ask the players okay what's next sometimes that can be really hard as a player like when someone asks okay what now like what do you mean what now we go to the next scene like let's just go right. do i have to narrate me walking there no yeah. that's not necessary <laughs> I am surprised you mentioned shopping trips. I know shopping trips are some people's favorite part of a oh, game. They're so not my favorite part, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in my opinion, the people who love the shopping trips is their favorite part of a Dungeons and Dragons game. Maybe you should try a different game other than Dungeons and Dragons because the point of, <laughs> I mean, I guess part of the point of D and D is that you're spending all of this hard-earned gold and stuff that you've uh, you've been gathering through your uh, cross-country killing trek um but uh yeah i mean that that would be if you're playing a game where the focus is supposed to be the fighting you're supposed your focus is supposed to be the intrigue there's no reason to like okay let's make our let's make our dungeon master pretend to be another random npc at this shop that and it's not at all relevant to the plot i get it i would also skip that part although if i had a game that was just shopping scenes i would also be into that 
yeah. I think I think if your game is about shopping, then that's fine. Right? For sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's it's a group thing, and there may be times when the you know the shopping scene, as an example, might be worth. Uh, uh, pursuing for another reason like there might be something that's going to happen at the shopping you know at the, at the bazaar um or at the market there might be but but it's like i find one of the things that i run into is that um and for good or ill this this can be a good thing is like if you run a game where you're kind of like you relegate shopping to like you do that off time or we take a five minute break and everybody you know buys the things that they want to buy or whatever. Um, and we just, and then we just move on whenever you, if you, if you do that sort of thing, when you do take them shopping and it's going to be a scene, like the players immediately, immediately latch onto the idea that, Oh, there's something important that's going to happen here. Right. Um, right. Which is, which is a useful tool as a GM anyway, just to kind of get the point across. Like we're not just going shopping. If, if you, we went shopping every time and then I snuck in like an interesting NPC or like there's a crime committed at the, at the market or something that might kind of come out of the blue, but where if we don't go shopping all the time and then I suddenly say, okay, we're, we're all going shopping. Like the, the players are like, now they're looking for like, what's the thing. And they're, that can engage them. That can get them really interested. Right. No, absolutely. And <laughs> yeah, that, that is what I would use in a game that has much more of a narrative focus, which is what I tend to play. Uh, the shopping scene will only show up if it's important. Right. No, and it's kind of this weird balance between like the play, the players are players, but they're also sort of this audience and they are susceptible to the dramatic irony of like, oh, I know because now the GM is doing something different. Um, and you might like some people kind of buck against that. Like they don't they don't want to make players start thinking in these meta gaming ways but it's going to be inevitable and i think it's good actually if they are keyed in like oh suddenly we're going on a shopping trip there is something special here um number one that is going to engage them they're not going to get so bored and be like what the heck are we doing here we this is not exciting they are going to be more willing to engage with the plot points that you've put in there all the signposts all of the clues whatever you're doing there um and i i think at that point like that sense of dramatic irony is a powerful tool as a game master yeah and i think it's also useful in in games where there is no game master you know like if if everyone's sharing the role of the gm you know everyone is already susceptible to the dramatic irony you already know what's going to come next if it's your turn to to decide um but uh yeah i I just think it's uh it's a really good way to get them involved more but uh Moving on from shopping. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. I was gonna say we're, we're gonna we're gonna talk about another another kind of uh, scene that we we tend to skip over. What are some of those other scenes? Uh, I think just really the the sort of downtime scene where you get asked what you're doing, uh, where it's totally open ended. I find those can get tedious if it happens too often, especially. Um, every once in a while, you want to kind of know what people do in their off time, but you don't want to do that every session. And you don't want to start off your session with that because I've had some games that did that and uh, I found it a little boring. Mm. Um, I want to I want to know plot wise, but also like character wise, what's going on that's important to my character. And so I want to jump to that. So what do you do? Do like when there's those downtime situations, do you just have the players or do you prefer when players just like, well, I did this and like kind of third person narrate it instead of have a whole scene? 
Uh, yeah, that's what I'll do if I want to find out what they're doing in a, in a downtime scene. I will have them third person narrate it. And then if something interesting is happening between two characters or between the character and an NPC, you break it out into a more full uh, role-playing scene. Yeah, that's about what I do, too. I, I think it also speeds things up at the table, too. The game is more fun when everyone's involved in a scene. You know, everyone's together, or at least the majority of your group is together. And I, I love the like listening actively listening for your players to say something cool that you could then latch onto and expand on i think is a also a skill that every gm should develop active listening is very important to yeah you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i usually will um i mean offer up to to the group is you know does anybody do anything in particular tonight that we want to cover or if i know there are certain care uh, certain players that are kind of gunning for something in particular like oh like just uh, as we often do here falling back to D D, like the bard is looking for a patron so my bard's going to go off and try you know and frequent some of the pricier taverns and try to find a rich patron and you know that becomes okay well how late do you stay doing that and then um you know maybe have them make a uh, diplomacy check and that they do really well then you have a quick scene to be like oh and you meet so and so and they're interested in hiring you to you know to pen an epic poem or to write a song or something um, and you kind of set that up real quick and now now you you've given the bard something cool to have you know have some fun with you you've created an npc that might become something down the road but you're not doing it in such a way that you're like okay now everybody sit back and kick you know have a have a drink while we spend the next 40 minutes role-playing with one player talking to you know four different possible patrons right yeah and i think that that is an important point that doing that doing a cut when it's just one player doing something so that everybody else doesn't have to sit around and wait is uh is an important part of this i think it's also a good opportunity for you as the gm to use like a secret note like you have an a note that you can pass along to the person. Oh, you had this cutscene. Write them something like, "Oh, you met this person. This will come up later, and then they can keep it to themselves. And then you can bring it up when you're ready later." I've I've used that technique. I've had it used against me before, and I do enjoy it. <laughs> um, and it can it can become like a quick email conversation afterwards too to kind of set it up, and then the player can be the one who introduces like, "Oh, I the love of my life. I I I have I I met the love of my life three nights ago." <laughs> Yeah. Um, and the player has this, you know, off, gets to have a camera. dramatic moment. <laughs> yeah. It, that's also a fun way to do like Phoebe. You know, there's always one thief at a D&D party that wants to like sneak <laughs> right. into your personal belongings and like get into trouble. Like, oh, here's what you found. And now you're now you have this cursed item, but you don't want to tell anybody that you took it because you took it from the paladin's bag. And like, I think that there's like a lot of a lot of ways that you go around doing that in a way that's that's fun that doesn't bog down the scene that gets other people engaged and gives them maybe something to chew on maybe they are like super hungry for like a, a personalized plot and that's why they yeah. want to have these side scenes for themselves um give them something that they can ruminate secretly and silently that colors and flavors the rest of their interactions um and that can that can help um kind of chill that one guy you know the one yes <laughs> And one of the other things that you can do in a game is basically start with a cutscene, just cut right to the action at the beginning rather than uh, doing warm up with the players, sort of an in media res uh, start of the action. 
I love in media res starts. They're great. Uh, my personal opinion, they're great for convention games. Yes. Um, because it puts everybody suddenly has to, you're, you, like you're teaching the game system often. So you're going to teach a little bit of the basics of the game system. Everybody understands like a combat or, a, you know, a sequence, you know, a, a, an action sequence or something. Um, and it gives everybody a time to kind of figure out their character and what their character can do. And as they're doing that, maybe they're developing their character's personality. So then they're better equipped to, to role play the character. They're not put on the spot with like, okay, we're going to start with a talkie scene. Now play your character. And they're not sure who that character is really yet yeah no that makes sense uh in media res is a great way to get the action started in it, in, with like a group of strangers especially so it's also really good for like a lot of different genres it's great for i don't think it's particularly adept for like a horror type because the whole purpose of horror is kind of build up the, the tension. slow build yeah but but heist style um, that's always great. Uh, like definitely your action <laughs> scenes, all of all of even drama scenes can be like really good for media in media res. I think that you just yes. have to have an idea of what kind of genre you're in and what the moves are that are the best for it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and the same thing goes for like vice versa. Maybe you are getting out of the action scenes. You're wrapping those up with a little bit of narration instead of fully acting out a fight scene because your game is mostly focused on the romance or your game is mostly focused on the, the, the dramatic character tensions between things. You don't necessarily need to have a whole hour long, half hour long scene of people having a bar fight. You could just kind of say like, here are a couple of things that happen in the bar fight. Maybe even go around at the table. Okay. What do you do during the bar fight? What do you do? Who do you hurt? Who throws a chair at you? And then be at the end. Um, and then have all of the stuff that you just talked about that you just kind of fast forwarded through affect them um, yeah. later on down the oh, road. Even even in a fighty game, um, if you get into what is potentially a big fight and the characters have killed the baddie and killed the lieutenant and killed you know the monster that the lieutenant was commanding, and now they're down to minions that are mostly unhurt. Um, and they're probably not really the player, you know, the characters aren't really in any significant danger. It's just going to be a slog of trying to get through that. Like, that's a great way to end that combat is to tell everybody, okay, how do you kill a minion or how do you dispatch a minion or run off a minion or something? Um, right. you know, especially like, you know, if you're, if you're running a situation where like these minions are loyal to the great, you know, big bad at the end and everything, they're not necessarily going to run away. They're going to keep trying, you know their morale checks and all that sort of thing where yeah you can just kind of you know let's just cut to the end of the thing like you tell me how you finish these guys off no i love the idea of fast forwarding through an action scene sometimes um you know especially like when you're talking about like the the conclusion is foregone right so yeah some people are real diehards about rolling until the last drop yep. of hp is spent i'm it's not it, it's not really necessary there's not a lot that could put unless somebody has a statistical improbability in their roles it's gonna go one way or another at some at a certain point um i often will do this like if they're fighting like a, like a lot of mooks or they're fighting even like one big bad guy um and it's clear that this is going to last a long time, but now they are at the point where they are going to win. I usually let the players do like I have them like they'll take an action and I and I'll use something within the environment to deal a final devastating blow or 
just like something that's not necessarily fast forwarding it like fade in fade out but like this happens now and the you with your you miss with your shot of your bow but it hits this big stalactite that was on the top (laughs) of the cave and it pierces the heart of the the lava monster whatever you were fighting (laughs) right Uh, and and just kind of ended there i'm not i'm not really fast forwarding by like skipping anything i'm just using maybe a technique that would get us to that same place anyway right without them feeling like oh well i wasn't there for that and now i feel like i just didn't get to see this part which can be the trap that can be the trap of doing a, a cut to scene like you yes. might some players might feel cheated out of the of that victory or of, of, of the scene or of the potential drama. Um, and you have to make sure that you're balancing that pretty well. Yeah. Particularly if you're, you know, if you've got, for example, a fighter type in the group whose specialty is mowing down mounds and mounds of minions, Yeah, make sure that they're getting the chance to do that a lot. Um, and when you're going to cut to the end of a sequence where there's probably, you know, nothing's probably going to happen to anybody, um, give them the the spotlight at that point. You know, like you built a character that is focused on this thing. How did you how did you wipe out three minions? Right. Yes. How did you finish these guys off? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody stood back and let the, the, the multi-attack <laughs> minions, minion destroyer character just go in there and mow them all down. And it's like, okay, right. yeah. tell me how you do that. And everybody else just cheers from the sidelines. Yeah. <laughs> and you might still run Places into the bets. person. You might still run into the person who does want to do all those roles. Um, that's a conversation you have to have with your, with your party. You, you have to oh, like, yeah. d- like, how do you want us to do that? No one else wants to sit here and, and watch you roll 20 different times and have to go through their, like all the motions. Um, but you do, maybe this is not the campaign for you, or maybe there will be times we let this happen, but I don't know. I just, again, the, the golden rule, talk to your players always yes. comes up, always comes up. Craig, you had mentioned earlier when we were saying like different scenes that we skip, um, you said travel scenes. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, don't get me wrong. I know there are groups out there that absolutely love a long travel with rolling multiple random encounter checks every day. And especially in games that are fighty or, you know, fighting oriented, like running into monsters or bandits or whatever on the road can be um, a lot of fun. But there gets to be, you know, for me anyway, there gets to be a point where like, okay, we've had enough of that. Like, let's get to where the unless unless all, you know, half of these quote unquote random encounters are really kind of part of the story, like the the bad guy set the monsters loose or hired the bandits to go get them or you can kind of tie it in. Then it just becomes like, you know, it's a, it's sometimes I feel like it's a combat for the sake of the combat. Um, right. So it might be better um, to say, okay, you know, you're like tell the group beforehand, say you guys got this big, long travel, you know, this, this journey in front of you, we're going to hit on some spots as we go, but we're going to, we're going to go through a lot of it fast. Let them know that it's happening and be like, you know, and, and ha- let them like take a cut scene, prepare, like, you know, they prepare for the trip, like how much, you know, food and water and, and feed for the horses and, you know, whatnot, other expendable resources are they going to take with them? And maybe just then, you know, kind of whittle that out and say, okay, well you use up this and you use up that and we get there. Um, and you, you know, maybe you just have like, you know, a few, um, or potentially n- none of, right. uh, of encounters along the road, if, unless they're serving the, the story in some way, um, or, you know, don't get me wrong, a random f- 
<laughs> you know, a random basilisk comes wandering onto the path every so often can be a change of pace because like, there's no reason anybody's going to fight a basilisk with this, this current baddie that we're dealing with. He doesn't have any like trained to do his bidding or anything. So, but I really love the idea of making the characters be afraid of being turned to stone. So we're going to throw this in there and, and let that, you know, be a, be a thing in the middle of a travel. Um, but I do, I, with travel, I do a lot of cut to, Sun goes down, sun comes up three times. You're there. Yeah, uh, especially games that don't have any sort of travel system. It it seems like it's a bit of a waste to spend a lot of time on it. Um, I did play the One Ring game, which has like a I was very about to say, is anybody going to bring up? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which was actually pretty fun. Yes, yeah, it was actually pretty fun because everybody was there for it. You know what I mean? So. The, the the great thing about the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit story is that they're you know they're you know in a lot of ways a lot of it is travel stories but it's exploration it's like the you know the characters are constantly discovering these things that are part of the story that like or that inform you of the world um, and so like well you're you know we're gonna travel 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 and then we're gonna find these trolls that are turned to stone well what what are they all about like you know there's there's a story behind that so it's like that's a different beast if you're playing a game that has a lot of exploration and world building and so forth but if you're trying to get to you know the important if the The important part part is getting to the place yeah um and the journey is not part of that story in in a significant way then yeah cut to 100 percent I'd even say, though, that there are a lot of games out there where the exploration is a huge part of the game. Um, and I, I'm thinking video games specifically. Every big open world game that I love where you can walk around and find something new at any moment. Um, and maybe even things if you've been playing the game for a year, you still are finding new stuff. Every single one of those games has a fast travel mechanic. I'm not always walking from town to town not going to happen i'm going to fast travel to go where i need to go because i want to get to the good bits and if i feel like having a little side quest feel like having a little jog through the wilderness i might then go do that um but until then i'm just going to fast travel i mean even baldur's gate like the new D video baldur's gate 3 which is like the new D video game that a bunch of people are playing like there's a lot of exploration because even dungeons and dragons has a lot of exploration built into the game Although it's like the unwanted child of the game. Like it's never really done. I feel like in any of the games that I've ever played of D&D, my experience, of course, um, there's a lot of exploration and little side quests that you could do. But there's also the fast travel mechanic. You just have to travel mm-hmm. to get to the ability to do there. And once once you have your one journey there, you can go and come as you wish. Uh, and I think that that, you could use that as a GM. Like if you do want some of those journeys, but you don't want it to constantly be bucked down by it. Once they get to a new town, maybe then you can skip forward. If, if people want to skip forward to the next time they go to that town, they can just do that. You already know the road. You already know the way you already know the dangers. All of those can be um, just, just say like, okay, well you go and it's three yeah. days later and here you are. Yeah. And you can like the interesting thing about just the way you describe the the video game thing is it felt like, oh, it's very much dependent upon your mood. Like I'm playing the game right now and I'm in the mood to just get to the cool, the next cool thing. Or I'm in the mood to just have a lazy day or afternoon wandering around. Um, and so you can 
pose as a GM dealing with multiple players, you can pose that question to the group at the end and be like, okay, your characters are about to go off on this travel. Do you want to get to the thing? Or do you want to have an exploration day? Like the next game session will be like exploring the world and building and playing character. And, and maybe there's a little action or something, but you know, you can ask them, say what, you know, what you want to do. And that way you can, you can insert a bit, a bit of that non cut to kind of stuff for when they're in the mood for it. Um, you know, maybe they just, the group just got off of like three sessions in a row where their characters were like nearly dead all the time. And they would welcome <laughs> a session of just like, oh, we're going to go and like check out this cool shrine. And then we're going to meet some people on the road. And Right. A little bit of uh, less dramatic action. Yeah, a know. breather. A breather. In, in yeah. the constant threat of death. <laughs> right. Well, you know, okay, so I, I, I know that there are a lot of, people in different genres like different mediums where we are skipping things there are some people who fast forward through scenes while they're watching movies there are some people who like like they'll skim read until something's exciting in a book they'll do the fast travel <laughs> yeah. in a video game i don't think that there's any harm in doing it for um for your game i do though i love a filler episode like i have i have this whole game called beach episode where <laughs> you're doing the filler episode the thing that could be skippable but has some moments in it that could be interesting to characters like i have a whole series planned of all these filler episodes um so yeah i do think it just depends on the player depends on the mood depends on you as a gm and right. i think that you can't always be constantly skipping but you also always can't constantly being like going through every single little solitary action and there are some actions that we always skip i've never i've never gone to the bathroom in a, in a dribbling game i always skip over those scenes we, they happen whatever <laughs> we're, there, right. we're not even gonna mention them or eating like i'm not gonna talk sit down and this isn't game of thrones i'm not gonna sit down and describe in detail the meal that i'm eating unless it's secretly important right and then my players are like freaked out about what, you're what describing the meal <laughs> why are you describing how the quail is prepared i don't understand <laughs> uh, well any other any final thoughts here on uh cut two scenes before we cut to our next segment just a uh a different type of cut to scene and you have to figure out whether you're up for this and whether the players accept the idea um which is, and I've, I've used it occasionally in games, and it can be very, you know, if used judiciously and not giving too much away, it can be really engaging and help the players, is to do the, the cut-to scene like you kind of see in video games sometimes where, you're like, you're playing your character and you're doing your thing, and then there's, like, a cut scene of your character and other NPCs doing something. And then sometimes there's a cut scene to the baddie. Your character's not there. There's no way they could know this. But they're going to see something happen because it's going to ramp up the stakes in some way or it's going to, you know, kind of make uh, what's coming seem more foreboding or worrisome. Um, that can be a lot of fun, too, as a GM um, when used judiciously and what, and if players are up for it, like some players like they would rather have that be revealed when my character can see it or come to come to know it. Um, but um, some players will be like, yeah, that'd be like. You, you, you're telling me that like, oh, we're cut to the bad guy and he's raising skeletons in a graveyard. Oh, goodness. Undead army's coming, everybody. Start, you know, start prepping for that rather than hearing it as news from somebody who was scouting and saw it or, right. you know, a wizard was flying over and spied them or whatever. You can, it's information that they could have gotten some other way, but you can create it um, with a little narrated scene where you cut to that thing and then you're back to the group. 
There are even moves in a lot of Power by the Apocalypse games that you are directly told you can do this thing. You're you're foreshadowing future badness. Um, It's not really foreshadowing. Um, That is just, again, dramatic irony. Dramatic irony is when the audience knows something that's happening, but the characters don't. Yes. It's a a very powerful tool. And it's like almost necessary, as I mentioned before, almost necessary in a role-playing game. Mm -hmm. Well, you... You know, and if players if players push back against it, tell them like, well, you, you kind of know, like you're going up against, like, say, a necromancer. You already have some dramatic irony. You know, your character has no clue what a necromancer is capable of. You have read the rule book. You know most of what a necromancer is capable of outside of anything I've pulled from another source book or invented it on my own. You also know that you're mm-hmm. in a story. Like, you, you <laughs> yeah, know. You're, you're Deadpool. <laughs> <laughs> right. Your characters might not, like... Your characters don't know that they're in a story, but you, as the controller of the character, know like you're 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 part author of the story. You have yep. to engage with some dramatic irony. The yes. weird, the weird ah. little fuzzy line between player and player and audience, like I said. Yep. All right. What about our our next segment here? We're talking about fast tracking design. I wish, I wish I could cut to scene. My game is done and it has sold me. <laughs> That would be oh, great. me too. Oh my god, <laughs> that is, yeah. Um, the, this... the, the the dramatic irony here is that uh, I am terrible at this. <laughs> of of fast tracking designs, yes. Brandon. Put... Go ahead. I put this on the list of topics quite a while ago, and nobody's picked uh, this. You know, this one, um, and it's because uh, partly because I just kind of did one of those um recently actually kind of two but really one because one was so small it was barely um impactful in that way but um uh primarily because i i you know i've seen it uh posted on online a few times i've stated it myself or paraphrased it which is you know every game designer loves to have designed a game which is to say you love you you love it when it's done like you, you it's so nice when it's done but like there are certain parts during the process of designing where you get in the slog and you feel like you're never going to get to the next phase or you're never going to get the mechanics really worked out or you're never going to get the world completely built or whatever it is you're working on um so looking at fast tracking a, a design in general or a product um uh i thought we could we could discuss a little bit of that um sure yeah, so. I want to know, like, what does it mean to fast track a design? For me, it would be, uh, you know, and I, I'm going to say I haven't done this, but it would be putting aside all the other projects I have and just concentrating on one, which I rarely do. Um, and that can be hard. I, it's it's very hard, but that was what that was what would be required for me to actually fast track a design would be to really make it my number one priority and concentrate on it solely uh, for a couple of months just to try and get everything worked out. And there can be, you know, like all the phases of it. If, if you're dealing with mechanics, you might be developing mechanics, getting people together, play testing quickly. Okay. Does that seem to make sense? Does that not go back, tweak it, get people together to play, te- you know, like you're, you're taking all these different steps that might otherwise be spread out a little further, or you might give yourself time to think about more. Yeah. Um, and, and toy with different ideas where you just like get something on paper, play test it, try it, see what works. Okay. That needs to be adjusted. Boom. And then you just go back and forth. Um, and as, as Brennan said, like, you know, setting everything else aside, which is really tough if you've got multiple things on your mind. Um, 
And then uh, one of the things that I thought about too with with fast tracking design as opposed to a product is, and it works for product too, is to know to to be mindful of the scale of the design that you're doing. Like, don't let yourself get carried away with like, now we're going to add a subsystem for this and we're going to expand this. Like if you're talking class-based, is four classes enough? Maybe four classes is enough. You don't need nine. You don't need 15. Like, you know, like, um, you know, can, can the, can the, uh, the task resolution system be simpler, be more straightforward? Does it need the complexity? Does it need a huge table of modifiers? And and you got to try out to see what works with this and what works with that. Does it need magic items and psionics and, you know, spells and this and that and that can it can it be like oh you all have supernatural abilities that are very you know you know and you just kind of tailor them and you make a list of examples and so you can you, you don't necessarily have to create a you know you can have a very robust game that takes a long time to develop we all know those um or a game that does the same thing gives you much the game the same game experience but it does it in a much lighter tighter rule set with more um that's more more that's placed in the hands of the players and GMs to kind of develop like, Oh, rather than having a huge list of things to choose from, I'm going to give you guidelines for how to do some things. And then you, you tailor them faster to develop from, yeah, the, designer, and from the designer standpoint. If I'm doing a fast track game, it's going to be a much stripped down system. You know, you can't do a very complex system fast track. I just don't think that's possible. There's too many dependencies. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a way you could even do that. Fast tracking, we're all working, we're all talking as like loan developers or partners in a in a company. Right. Like fast tracking is relative to how many people you have potentially working on the product. You know, if you a company that's got like you know ten people doing design work, a fast track product might still be fairly robust by my personal standards. Right. Yeah, I'm talking as a loan designer. Yeah. Yep, yep. <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, like, I, I have done like, okay, Alex, you're going to you're gonna do this part. I want to do this part. We're going to knock it out in an afternoon. Let's go. Like, I've definitely <laughs> done that. I've also done a lot of really streamlined games. I mean, Alex and I started designing games live on Twitch. We spent an hour. We came up with a game, and then I spent, like, maybe an hour or so putting it into a format, like, just, like, quickly doing some design. Um, Some of the things that helped me fast track, like, the actual design, like, layout design of a game um, there are a lot of tools that you can take advantage of as a layout designer and a graphic designer. Um, and I would recommend this for any any game designer who also does their own layout or is thinking about doing their own layout, no matter how like advanced you want it to be, is to really, really become familiar with whatever program that you're using and knowing first before you do anything else, learn how to do your character, like your character styles, your paragraph styles, and and have um your oh, what are they called like you can have like little templates i know you can do this in affinity i'm assuming that you can also do it in adobe InDesign, where you have like module like already pre-made sets of things ready to go that you can just click from one area and drag into any page that you want i forget what they're called in infinity i just know where they're located in in the program but having those makes it so 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 much faster for your whole design and the other thing that makes design super easy for me is to never do tables. Tables are <laughs> awful. Tables are bad for a layout designer. If you have any table, it is going to double your production time. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> I've never been able to find a program that allows me to use a table the way I want it. Like they're always so complicated. I don't know why. 
Uh, like it makes me want to become like a software designer just so I can fix this one problem. <laughs> <laughs> just dedicate the rest of my life to fixing to, table to destroying it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's I would just really recommend becoming super familiar with those tools or not using them at all and just being okay with having a very bare bones. You know, if you, especially if you're talking about fast tracking a product itself, having a bare bones kind of design and not worrying mm -hmm. that it looks like superb. Like you, if you are, if you're wanting to do something fast tracked and you're looking at a, a layout design, like you're looking at Mort Corp with all of its really fancy um, font choices, use all of its uh, like the art that's in there, the graphic design that like everything like folded into it that kind of stuff takes work lots and lots of work and the person who was doing that design also had a lot of experience so that's work ahead of the time that they put into beforehand to make things easier for them on the on the right. other end like you just have to be comfortable not having um an award-winning graphic design layout it's not going to happen if you're only spending a week on it right oh no absolutely not yeah so basically if you're fast tracking what you have to do is decide what corners you're going to cut, you know, uh, what, what's your priority, uh, in the product design, in the game design, what, and just concentrate on those priorities, like laser focus. So, yeah. When it comes to something like Jess was talking about with layout and whatnot, and you can apply this almost to, you know, any part of the, you know, the different components that get put together into this. We're kind of getting past this. This is one of those things that's kind of fast tracking the design and, and but also the product, which is, um, you know, there are there are particularly like in the OSR realm, there are games that are really simple laid out and they're really simple. Um, straightforward designs and they could be much more robust. Um, and I'm not saying that those, those particular games, I'm not disparaging or saying anybody like, you know, cut any corners or did anything faster than I don't know how, I don't know how long it took to any, anybody to, to develop those things, but they're, you know, those, uh, they are games that lend themselves toward being developed um, a little more quickly and not having to, you know, spend a long, long time on working it out because you're you're keeping the system and the game itself and how much information you're providing streamlined. And then your your final product is also kind of like, oh, it's black text on a white page. And like, you know, Jess is saying there's not a, there's not a lot of tables. If there are tables, they're really simple tables. It's just literally list tables. It's not anything weird. Doesn't have right. a lot of doesn't have a lot of strange graphics and stuff in it. No, like they didn't have to put a lot of time into um, developing custom graphics to, to, to spice up the book. It's like there's, and there's something, you know, there's something to be said for like opening up a book and being like, wow, this is like, I follow every, there's, I will never get lost in this book. Like I will never, I will be able to find, I will always be able to find the information I'm looking for because it's, it's all, it's black text on white paper and there's, you know, clear headers. Um, and the organization from front to back is, 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 uh, good. And it's not a huge book or a you know right. big robust game it's like i can play this and i i know that i can learn this and i if i need to reference something it'll be fast when i when i play it and that's that's you know a lot of players will love that just having a, a reference book at the table that they can be like find something easily and quickly i think you can also take a lot of those games like there's a reason why some a lot of people like to design for a game system that's easy to kind of just like plug and play like a lot of people like not necessarily plug and play i'm really simplifying it but it's easier it's faster 
to do a Powered by the Apocalypse game where you know how the core system goes and 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 just do it that way than it is to build your own system from scratch because building your own system from scratch takes a lot more time and a lot more playtesting and a lot more effort. Yep. Mm-hmm. Not reinventing the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, that's something I ran into um, just my own experience from fast tracking um, to an extent of design, um, but also very much for a product was um, not this recent, there's not this most recent Gen Con, but last year at Gen Con, Good Strong Hands was nominated for Annie's. And I was like, well, now I have to make a supplement because I've always wanted to make a supplement and they got the things award nominated. So I fast tracked a product, a supplement, like a 70, 80 page supplement for the next Gen Con and, you know, produced it and got all the artwork and graphics and everything done and play, had it play tested you know, what, what needed to be play tested. There wasn't a lot. Um, and laid out and, um, and, you know, gone through the proofing process and all that and ran a Kickstarter and got it out to everybody, like with a month to go before the next Gen Con. I I would say that's definitely fast tracked. Yeah. That was a, that was a treat (laughs) of a process. Um, but it was, I, I did a lot of the things that we're talking about. I didn't reinvent the wheel. I I didn't create any new rule systems. I did everything that's rule based kind of is just like an iteration you know, like utilizing things that had already been developed. Right. And I, I created the, you know, the play, the character folk that you can play, the playbooks are, they're, they're nothing weird. They're like, they're brand new. Um, but they're, uh, they're set up all the same ways. The other ones, the one thing that's a little different is in there is that I created some magic stuff and there's four types of magic that the character characters can learn, but they're all most, most of them are based on the way that normal abilities are gained by the characters anyway. And the only one that's weird is the poetry magic. And that's one of those ones that like, it's up to the players to be able to come up with poems um, that describe how their magic works. And then, and, and then it was a bunch of world building stuff and I, you know, little different realms that the characters can go to that kind of expands on the world that's presented in the book. Um, and a little bit of GM advice. And yeah. I had, I had the same uh, layout artist, um, so we basically took, he had all the assets from the original the game book. Template, like, basically, yeah. Let's, let's make assets, everything. Pur- assets make, was the word I was looking for earlier. Yep, make everything yeah. purple instead of green. And we're going to, instead of having like leaves and flowers, we're going to have tentacles and, and thorns um, and clouds instead of, uh, you know, nice sky, like uh, bright sky and sun. Um, and, you know, built the the graphic design from that. Um. And, you know, it needed minimal play testing. I basically just, you know, got it into the hands of some people to like, to, to run some of the stuff through its paces and make sure that, you know, none of the, the new abilities that were described were like, oh, this is clearly like really broken or really good or whatever. Um, and, uh, and it was kind of all I did. <laughs> like, right. for, there were periods of time where it was all I did, like finding an artist because my original artist was no longer available because she's really, really good. And she's very popular and she does magic cards now. So she's always busy. Um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, I, I like, I had to find an artist that could do something kind of in the vein of the original, um, book. And, uh, that was a, a treat that took a while, <laughs> but I did eventually find somebody. Um, but the graphic design was, you know, same guy. So, yeah, I think your point, um, that, uh, one one of the things that speeds it up is one of my takeaways from this is that iterating on a previous thing is the fastest way to go. Uh, yep. You know that there's already a sort of a body of work that you're relying on, so you don't have to reinvent the wheel, and that will help you fast track a project. So, 
Yeah, I couldn't Which have fast I think tracked. a lot of these OSR folks can do it. Because <laughs> they've got so much to draw from. Yeah. And and as OSR builds out, it like, and they mm-hmm. license, you know, they leave things open license and stuff. Like they've just got more and more to build from. So there's all sorts yeah. of interesting things they can do that don't take a bajillion man hours to do. Um, but uh, yeah, that was like, I don't think I could have fast tracked like a new game with new mechanics in an 80 page book from start to finish mm-hmm. in 10 months. Yeah. No. yeah. That would have been very difficult. At, I... at the quality level that I got out of, out of the right. supplement, because you know um, it's, it's my pretty book. <laughs> like good strong hands is the pretty book. It's the one that needed a lot of work and it, it got a lot of extra scrutiny when I was reviewing things and me and uh, Todd, the graphic designer were looking through things and me and both of the artists were talking about things. So I, I, I was pickier because <laughs> that was going right. to be the pretty game. Um, so yeah, it was it was uh, quite an interesting time where I just like I lived and breathed um, what it was light without dark, which is the supplement. Moonpunk was very fast tracked. Was it was it fast tracked? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I was did. it was it one of the ones that you had done on Twitch or? No, no, we designed that uh, off outside of that. Um, we what was fast tracked the most. I mean, it was a Powered by the Apocalypse game. We already had a really good, solid idea of what we wanted out of it. We already knew like what the core concepts were going to be like. We we knew all of that before we even started designing the game. Um, we had a long conversation first about what we wanted out of the game and then just kind of like sat down and made it. Um, the things that took the longest were coming up with what we wanted the interior to look like. Um and but once I knew that and I had like all of my my like pin boards for what I like the concept art, like I looked at a bunch of zines. I had a bunch of zines already from like various zines that I had picked up, um, borrowed a lot of the elements from those. Um, there were a couple sections that were a little harder for us because we weren't super sure about how we wanted to do them. So we hired an outside uh, land artist to do a couple sections for us that made it a lot faster on me while I was also like, I was pulling double duty, you know, as a game designer and a layout artist. Um, then, you know, did a little bit of play testing, uh, works out like really quick. I mean, it's powered by apocalypse game, not saying that they're not complex, but we weren't doing anything super wild with it. Uh, and then, uh, literally <laughs> our idea for the cover didn't really work out the first time. So Alex is like, hold on, I got an idea set on a computer for like half an hour. And, uh, he came up with our, uh, with our cover and that was like it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all, overall, <laughs> um, like from like when we started writing the game to when we were finished, it was less than a year. Um, cause we, I think we started in like early like late summer and we finished in april so it was very fast turnaround i might i might be skipping several times over in in my memory because that was also um 2020 uh like the beginning of 2020 um it was a it was a kind of a rough time for a lot of my memory it's gone yes. it's 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 missing from my brain now so <laughs> <laughs> that, um, that that cover story uh cover story the story about the cover um reminds me of the i i'm not sure how accurate this is it might be apocryphal but the story of how bon jovi's slippery one wet album cover was <laughs> was designed was they had plans for all this for this this album cover and there was going to be you know people on it and it was going to be i had to do all this you know shoot 
you know, photo shoot and everything. And a whole bunch of stuff fell through at the last minute. And they were getting to the point of they're going to be pressing and going to release the, the album. I don't know who it was necessarily. And, and like I said, I don't know how accurate this is, but somebody went outside with like a piece of garbage bag or something like just a black sheet and laid it out on the ground, sprayed it down and then traced the words slippery when wet into the thing. So it's all water dots all over the place, except where it says the letters. And that's the, that's the cover. <laughs> you know, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes the fast idea is the good idea. It's the good idea. Yeah. And it's a great looking cover. And if, if it's that, if that's the way it came about, then that is a great story too. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I've become really like, I, I don't mind putting out crap sometimes you know i don't i don't <laughs> i don't mind that it doesn't really impact me personally right. um i think that there's a lot of like there's no guarantee that if you spend a really long time on something it's going to be better there's actually not a big guarantee on that um it might improve your chances for sure but um i've seen a lot of i've seen a lot of stuff out there not just saying games i'm saying stuff from all different mediums where someone clearly spent a lot of time on this and it's still not good i've read a lot of really <laughs> crap books i've read i've read a lot of really crap books um that obviously someone spent maybe even years of their life writing this story i'm like this is bad i don't like it and uh it, it happens and not everyone's gonna like it anyway um and you know, there's always if you if you let perfect become the enemy of good, you'll or you'll never get anything done. That's absolutely true. Yes, uh, and that's what bogs down projects. So, mm -hmm. yeah. but uh, um, yeah, your fast iteration, you're gonna get some good stuff. You're gonna get some crap, but you're gonna yeah. get some good stuff too. Yeah, like my the the zine games that I've done, the little short like thirty to forty yeah. page zine games. Um, they're there's you know they're they're hit and miss some of them are better than others um they're simple i did it you know they didn't take a ton of time to to develop and to design um the layouts are i i uh, did them all myself they're they're very straightforward i didn't be like this is a little zine game that i want to keep it like it, and that was out of necessity in part because i was like i want to make a thing that i can put on a table that'll sell for a few bucks that i can put online that'll sell for a few bucks that maybe i'll make a few bucks on the kickstarter but I don't want it to take forever because now I'm, you know, I'm shooting myself in the foot as far as like how much time I'm spending and whether or not I actually am able to make something off of it. And that's the enemy right. of let's see, like, you know, well, I've monetized my hobby. So now like <laughs> time is the enemy, like how much time am I going to oh, spend yeah. on something? Is it worth it sort of thing? But For I, sure. you know, I made, I made, made, you know, very specific choices about like, I'm just going to keep the zine stuff simple because these are probably games that people are going to, one of two things, and it's been my experience, it has worked out this way with the little, with little games, really little games like that, one page games, two page little zine games. Um, those games end up being, regardless of how long you spend on them, they end up being one of two things to the, to the person who buys them. They end up being the, well, one of three, one, the thing that they buy and they read it and they go, that's cool. And they put it on a shelf and they never do anything with it Two, They play it one or two times and they got their money's worth and they had a fun with a little, a weird little game or three, it becomes their super favorite game because they love the theme of it so much. And they don't give two craps about how pretty it is. Or whether it's, you know, super robust, it's like it, the game does what it's supposed to do. And I have a lot of fun with it. And it's a, in a, it's, it's a genre or a theme or something that I love. Um, so I've, I've decided I'm not going to get real worried <laughs> about the small, the, the well, smaller games, the bigger books. I start to get more worried. Those take that's longer. That's the difference but like, though. It's, it's fast design. It's not careless yeah. design. Oh, it's that's right. fast Very, design. That's, that's an excellent point. 
So like like there's a difference between putting out something fast and it but you put care into it and it just is like not good for like I again it's not gonna no one's gonna die because you released a game that had like a flaw in it um or that no one liked. Uh but releasing a careless design and then like putting that forward as your image, like that that can be harmful to like your reputation. Mm-hmm. Um but again, uh, you know, the 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 big man in the house, uh Watsi has put out a lot of they put a lot mediocre. of careless and Wizards has put out. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. We're gonna we're gonna say it. Watsi has put out plenty of garbage. Yes. Yes. There's been plenty of garbage. There's yeah. been People a lot of it. there's been some really great stuff, some like game changing stuff, even occasionally. But there's been a lot of nah. <laughs> well, you know, volume. That's what they're after. That goes that goes for every company that, that's yeah, putting stuff that's out. Like not, everybody's got a stinker now and then. Yeah. <laughs> Except me, I don't have any. Oh yeah, <laughs> Galileo Games is nothing but quality, top to bottom, beginning to end. Uh, I, I know that there are people out there who definitely disagree with that. Yeah, I've I've met I've I've met people who disagree with uh, my my assessment of my own work. Um, at, yeah, at, yeah, at conventions occasionally. Yes, and they're face they're to, not shy about face. telling you. Yeah, yeah, they'll tell you at a convention just as well perhaps less easily than they'll tell you online, but they will still tell you at a convention sometimes. Some people are um, incredibly honest. Um, I I will say <laughs> that Moonpunk does it. have a solid five-star rating and they've only had five-star ratings. So I guess that's perfect. <laughs> it is a per- it's the perfect game. I think you're right. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I really feel like I beat the the part out of me um, when I was doing all these games on Twitch to like, oh, it has to be really good or it has to be complex. Like we were literally like, we're going to make a one page game. It's going to be whatever we did in that time and we're going to release it. And there we go. And I, I really enjoy doing that. And I still use a lot of the lessons that I learned from that so i guess my my big piece of advice for new game designers or even a game designer who feels stuck in a rut and feels like they're like like they, they're just like trying and trying and trying to get something out like do a game jam there's a reason why people do national novel writing month every year too like you're right. writing a novel in 30 days it's not and they say it's not it's going not to, to write good. a good novel yeah right it's to get something done. And sometimes just getting something done can boost your creativity and your output. Like just like gives you that push of them. Like it gives you that dopamine hit and then you're like going like yeah. try it, and, try it out. And you might That's generate cool. something in that quick little thing that, you know, that you've so, so to speak fast tracked and did quickly. You might generate something in there. That's like, okay, there's, there's a seed of something better and bigger that's in there right. and i can no, maybe when i have the time later with something else maybe i'll maybe i'll explore that game and make it bigger when i you know feel like it's it's worth doing that or i'll use that mechanic or or that uh narrative idea or whatever i'll use it in another game and this yeah. was a great you know doing this quick little thing was just a creative endeavor that kind of got me to the inspiration no absolutely but Brennan, you said you're not good at fast tracking design i'm yeah. not my latest game <laughs> that i'm working on right now i've been working on for 12 years Oh gosh! <laughs> well, you beat die laughing. <laughs> when are you gonna have it done? Uh, it's 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 in editing now. Oh, so. good, perfect. Yeah. So yeah. now maybe next time you can you could just like shoot something out. Yeah, I think <laughs> I will not. actually. The the next one I'm working on is a much lighter concept, so it should be a lot faster. So all right. Well, good luck to you on that. Yeah, yeah. I'll fast track that one, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> <laughs> 
Brennan, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Where can we learn more about you and your perfect games? Uh, www.galileogames.com. And you can find me on social media at Brennan R. Taylor. Um, I'm not using X anymore, uh, but you can find me on the other social medias. And uh, you can find me at at Joska. I am still there. I'm I'm at I'm at different places now, or on TikTok. <laughs> TikTok at Jess is awful, and uh, you can find my games at wannabegames.com on Drive Through RPG or itch under Wannabe Games. And I also have a Kickstarter coming up in a couple weeks now, uh, called the Coven of PS13. It is a game where you play high schoolers during the day, and at night you are creating a dark ritual with your besties. And you are going to get whatever you want out of that ritual, maybe, unless you all stab each other in the backs. So keep an eye out <laughs> for that on Kickstarter. Sounds awesome. Uh, and uh, I am at Nerdburger Craig on the various uh, social medias. Right now, the Kickstarter for Capers Cyberpunk is still going. We are, as I speak, um, moving in on another stretch goal that will not only put another adventure in the book, but will also uh, another adventure available to uh, as a PDF, basically. But it will take all of the adventures that we have so far, plus any more that come, and we'll put them all into a book. And we'll actually make a soft cover adventure book of oh five six seven adventures we'll see how many we end up with um one of them potentially written by somebody on this show right now um, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> um and uh the uh the website is nerdburgergames.com and you can otherwise find the games at drive through thank you to our opening and closing theme song which is avel by steph Sachs, licensed under creative commons thank you steph Sachs, and thank all of you for listening and we'll see you back here next time Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.